Hello and welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thanks for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's free resources, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. Father God, thank you so much for drawing us together as you have today. And I pray as always that I'd not get in the way of what you plan to do, but that you would speak to us with clarity in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. In our time together today, I wanted us to look at a very difficult question of faith, and that is, why does a good God allow suffering? This is a difficult question there's no easy answer for, and I know that even by the time we finish here today, there will be aspects of this still not fully addressed. There are different types of suffering, and I think that they fall into two main categories. The general suffering of natural disasters, illnesses, and the like, which come from living in a fallen world, These are facts of life, according to the Bible, and will only end when Christ returns. But then there's also the other kind of suffering that revolves around choices. For example, the suffering we sometimes bring on ourselves by our own poor decisions, and of course, the suffering we receive at the hands of others. Now, before we begin, I do want you to know that I'm not speaking to you from a theoretical point of view, but rather as one who has suffered in the same ways many of you hearing my voice have suffered. I grew up in a poor, somewhat dysfunctional, blended family that did not know or follow Christ. And like many of you, I know what it's like to harbor the shameful secret of childhood sexual abuse and carry the pain of that with you in your heart for many years. After coming to faith together as relative newlyweds, my husband and I tried to start a family, and like many of you, we became deeply acquainted with the struggles of infertility, of of difficult births, and then of hearing the words, you really shouldn't have any more children. Like many of you, we had to leave behind everything we'd worked for to start again. For us, that new start was in an unfamiliar land halfway around the world. Over the course of the years since, we've not been immune to the struggles of life. There have been two incidents in my life when I've been critically ill and saved from almost certain death. We've weathered the loss of family members and the numerous struggles involved in raising children and getting them off into college and careers. In the past six years, I've dealt with a cancer scare that required two major surgeries, and I've been restructured out of a job that I loved, all while dealing with my husband's life-threatening illness and the horrible unknowns that that situation brought. My husband eventually succumbed to cancer that wrecked his body, dying just 12 days after our 35th wedding anniversary and just four days after Christmas in 2018. I never expected to be widowed so young, but then Life doesn't always give us what we expect, does it? All that to say, 
please understand that I'm not coming to you from some sort of theoretical point of view as I answer this question. It's deeply personal to me as I know it is for you. If you think about it, though, suffering is really what unites us as humans. Every person from the greatest to the least knows what it's like to endure some sort of hardship or struggle. No one seems to be immune to it. I think perhaps that's why Jesus came as the suffering servant, in order to fully identify with us all. Isaiah 53 verse 3 even tells us that Jesus was a man of suffering, familiar with pain. So why does a good God allow suffering? The scriptures are clear that life was not like this in the beginning. So I think we really have to start first by asking, how did suffering even arise in the first place? I mean, where did it begin? Interestingly enough, it began with a gift the gift of free will that God granted Adam and Eve in the very beginning. Mankind's ability to choose brought suffering into the world. God asked them to do things his way and they chose not to. And as a result of their decision, for the first time, Adam and Eve faced isolation, separated not only from God, but each other as well. They suffered fear and shame struggle, and pain. If you think of it, our ability to choose that incredible gift of free will still causes problems today. Frequently, we suffer as a result of either our own poor decisions or even worse, someone else's. And aren't those the hardest ones to bear? The sufferings that are not just random or from our own choices, but that come directly from the decisions and actions of others. In my case, the abuse that I suffered as a young child was the direct result of someone else choosing to go against God's commands. But the same is true for the person who breaks their marriage vows, causing their spouse and children to suffer. They've made a selfish choice. Or the person who gets behind the driving wheel despite the fact that they're over the alcohol limit. They make a rash decision without ever thinking of the suffering that they may cause to others. In fact, much of the suffering in the world can be linked back to someone else's decision, either to do something against someone or to not help when they could have. That's the problem with sin. It twists our choices, putting us at the center of our decisions, rather than putting God at the center. Life is a series of choices, and sadly, many innocent people are often caught up in the consequences of those choices. So why does God allow us this ability to choose? Why did he allow Adam and Eve the choice to obey him or not? The reality is that free will has to exist for true love to be known. I mean, think of it this way. If I capture you and chain you up in a back office and say that you cannot come out until you say that you love me and respect me, what will happen? Well, eventually you may get hungry enough to say, okay, Michelle, I love you. Can I come out now? You may say that, but you won't mean it. Why? Because your free will has been taken from you. 
For true love to be known, free will has to exist. God wants us to know his love, but we have to be free to decide whether or not we want to love him back and live life his way. Unfortunately, this ability to choose is a double-edged sword because it brings with it the opportunity to create suffering through what we choose. That being said, though, I know that none of us want to be automatons, which would really be the only alternative, right? If we understand that suffering is a part of life now in this fallen world, then the main concern is, can it serve some purpose? The Bible clearly shows us that, yes, even in suffering, God does have a purpose and a plan for us. Remember Joseph, he was one of Jacob's 12 sons in the book of Genesis. We'll look at the details of his story in the next question that we cover coming up. But you may recall that Joseph was a person who suffered unjustly at the hands of others, not just once, but several times. His jealous brothers sold him into slavery He was then purchased by a man by the name of Potiphar, who was the captain of the guard for the pharaoh of Egypt. Falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, Joseph ended up in prison until eventually, under quite extraordinary circumstances, he was released with honour into the service of Pharaoh himself. The individual events of his life were horrible and terribly unjust, but in the hand of God, Those very things served a purpose. They not only made Joseph into a man of integrity, they also put him in a position to save God's people in a time of severe testing. In the end, Joseph was able to speak of his sufferings to those who had caused them, saying to his brothers in Genesis 50 verse 20, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now, there's a reason Joseph was able to view his sufferings in that light, and we'll look at that in our next question that we cover. But even this little glimpse of Joseph's life shows us that God has a purpose in everything we go through, and it is a purpose of good. He told his people that in Jeremiah 29 verses 11 to 13, saying, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Why would a good God allow suffering? Because he has promised to make something good out of it all. You and I may not have a choice in what comes our way in life, but we do have a choice in how we respond to it. In turning toward God in the midst of it rather than away from him, I believe that he can use it not only for our good, but also for the good of others. Suffering changes a person. It can either make you bitter or better. And I'd encourage us to go for the latter. I was trying to think of an example in the word other than Jesus himself or Job 
of a person who suffered and who showed us the right kind of response to their trial. And the Lord reminded me of possibly one of the most marginalized people in the whole of the New Testament. This person appears in three of the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 9, Mark chapter 5, and also in Luke 8. This individual suffered greatly in several different ways, and I'm speaking, of course, of the woman who was subject to bleeding. Probably not a person you've heard many messages on, right? Even most of the gospel writers spend very little time on her story, and yet it represented years and years of suffering for her. Let's look at the word in Mark chapter 5. Jesus was on his way to heal a synagogue leader's daughter, and a large crowd was following him. And it says in verse 25, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This is such a powerful piece of text. To fully understand, though, we need to put ourselves in this woman's shoes. Her condition made her unclean in the eyes of people. Because of her condition, she would have had to have been separated from the general population, possibly even living outside of the city limits. She wouldn't have been able to touch anyone, and no one would have been able to touch her either. Think of the isolation she must have felt through no apparent fault of her own. And what about the personal distress caused by her symptoms? The weakness and chronic fatigue she felt from anemia, the poverty from all the medical bills. Worse still, according to the temple regulations, she was not allowed to worship in this condition either and so it seemed she was separated from her God as well. But she did the right thing, and rather than stay isolated in her tent, she risked everything in order to reach out to Christ. According to the traditions of the day, she would have believed that if she so much as touched him, he too would become unclean, and she was so afraid that she did it in secret. Now, let me point out that Jesus knew who touched him. He knows everything, and he could have let it slide and said nothing. But no, he draws attention to what had occurred. Why? Because he wants her to know that he accepts her just as she is. And more than that, he wants others to understand that he can make the unclean clean.
All of Jesus' healings were outward illustrations of the inward spiritual work that only he can accomplish. He, the Holy One, was not only willing to touch her and be touched by her, he was willing to call her daughter and send her on her way in peace, free from suffering. The pain of what she'd faced helped her to know Christ in a way that she could never have imagined. It gave her a testimony to share, and it taught others too that he is not separated from us in our time of need. I understand that some who are listening to this are desperate to make sense of the extreme trials you're dealing with. I don't know your circumstances or if they will ever change, but I do know that Jesus understands and that he has promised never to leave you nor forsake you, no matter how you might feel right now. Remember that Christ chose to come as the suffering servant. He is the only one who fully understands our pain and how we suffer. He was rejected. He was betrayed. He suffered unjustly and people spoke maliciously against him without cause. He knew what it was like to face extreme pain and even an agonizing death. He knew what it was to be separated from a loved one and he knew what it was like to have to bear the consequences for other people's misdeeds. For the duration of his life, his circumstances didn't change either and Christ's death for the redemption of mankind, the most beautiful event in all of history, came in the midst of great suffering. And though this side of heaven, it may seem hard to accept, it was all done out of love. If you've been struggling a long time, remember that God doesn't always work according to our timing. Often things take a lot longer than we would have liked, but we have to trust that even the delay is for good reason. For example, the raising of Lazarus in John chapter 11. People understand that Jesus had compassion for the dead man's family and friends, but all over the world when I teach about the raising of Lazarus, I'm asked the same question. Why did Jesus delay? Surely he didn't have to let things go as far as they did. What many people don't realize is that it was the raising of Lazarus that finally caused the religious leaders to decide to put Jesus to death on the cross. You see, God was working according to his purposes through it all. Jesus had to delay answering their call. Lazarus had to die in order for that miracle to occur. And the miracle was necessary for God's purposes to be fulfilled. Oftentimes, like Lazarus's family, we only see part of the story in the midst of our suffering. But the Bible promises that one day we will know fully, even as we are fully known. Then everything will make sense. But in the meantime, God doesn't stand apart from us in our suffering. I know that he meets us in the midst of it. And because of it, he will give us a testimony to share with others. It can all be used for great good.
As Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-4, to 4, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. I mean, think of it. If you want a mentor, what better person than someone who suffered greatly and yet who still holds to the goodness of God? None of us would sign up to suffer if we had a choice. However, I know from my own experience that God can use it for his glory and the ultimate good of many if we let him. I think sometimes Christians especially wonder if we shouldn't get a pass when it comes to suffering. I mean, after all, as God's children, shouldn't he protect us from it? But you know that that's not a biblical argument. Jesus suffered and he told us in John fifteen twenty that no servant is greater than his master. If he suffered, we can expect to as well. Jesus also said in John 16, verse 33, that in the midst of our trials, we can have peace in him. His exact words were, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In Christ, we can have victory over our circumstances because we know that our circumstances are temporary. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16-18, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an external glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I still have questions about suffering, and I'm not sure that I'll get all the answers this side of heaven. But what I do know is that we are just passing through this life. It doesn't last forever. What happens here? is to prepare us for our future with him in glory. Some things are only going to make sense when we stand in Christ's presence. But in the meantime, the wonderful promise of Romans 8.28 is that we can know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, does that mean all things are good? No, not at all. But when all are combined together, God will use them for his glory and our ultimate good because suffering has the potential to draw us to him, to keep us dependent on him, and to make us more like Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, none of us want to suffer. And uh, we dread it, in fact. But Lord, thank you that you have proved to me again and again and again that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Rather, Lord God, you use suffering to draw us to you, to create a dependent relationship with you and to make us more like Jesus. 
Lord, thank you that you can use our testimonies for great good in the lives of others as we share the good news of Jesus with them. We just thank you, Lord, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. You are faithful and you are true to your word always. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. Michelle's messages are also available on all major podcast platforms and on her website at intheword.com.